Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Online sales rule the world. In April 2021, an Adobe study showed that global e-commerce sales were hitting $4.2 trillion that year, and not surprisingly, US consumers accounted for one quarter of that spending. Australia has a similar story. The pandemic forced many consumers to rely on e-commerce to get the basics as well as the more one-off items to survive lockdowns, to work, to homeschool, to set up our home gyms, and just to eat and drink. Surveys of consumers in the UK, Japan and the US show online shopping is becoming the preferred method for groceries for many, many reasons. Over half of the consumers in all these three countries said they believe they're saving money for shopping for groceries online. I wonder why most of us will decide to keep shopping online once this pandemic has eased. Today, my guest is Priya Radia, and she's a former lawyer turned serial entrepreneur, and she's the co-founder of four online businesses, including two e-commerce brands and the creator of Nine to Free Society, a community for e-commerce entrepreneurs to grow and scale their brands. Believing in a better way to live, Priya left her career behind to build businesses that could create financial freedom, support her own lifestyle and give her time with her family. She's deeply passionate about helping others do the same and contributing to a new narrative around what it means to work. And today we're discussing the politics of e-commerce. Welcome, Priya. Thanks, Amber, and thanks for that amazing intro. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm so I'm so curious about this because a lot of us have been shopping for a long time online, but not, not many of us know what makes it work behind the scenes. I'd love to delve initially into perhaps what your childhood career ambitions were. It sounds like you became a lawyer. So was that what you thought you'd be doing? Well, interestingly, when I was like a real baby child, like, you know, five, seven, I used to have these mini businesses. Now I look back at them and think, oh, wow, I was very entrepreneurial. So I used to make um, hand make Christmas cards. I was really good at drawing and coloring. And so I used to make those and then get my mom to sell them at her work. And I used to have a little like store outside our house and my friend's house. And I even employed her when the demand got too much. I employed a friend of mine to do the coloring in um, <laughs> for me. And yeah, and we used to do this together. And I would sort of, she wasn't the best at kind of drawing the lines very well. So I would do like the outline and she would color in. And, you know, then depending on how good they were, we'd either sell them for like a dollar fifty or a dollar. And so, you know, I'd make a bit of money that way. And then I was also really academic and I was really good at spelling and there are lots of kids that weren't. So I used to take money uh, and I got into a lot of trouble. (laughs) I used to take money and do their spelling for them. And I was like, this is such a great way to like have money for tuck shop and lollies. Anyway, that business failed very quickly because my mum found out. She was like, you cannot do this. Oh my goodness. That sounds Um, like an entrepreneurial streak was in there from early days for you. Yeah. Looking back, I'm like, oh, that was something that I was clearly good at when I was really young, identifying, you know, areas where I could make money and things that people needed or wanted. But as I got older, 
I went to a really academic school and, you know, because I was very good at studying, I fell into this path of like, how do I do something that's going to make lots of money that I'm interested in? And I was really interested in the law and this concept of justice, most of which came from watching too much law and order. And unfortunately, I didn't realize that that is not really how the law works. Um, And so I did really well at school and I went to uni. I did two degrees. I became like a top tier lawyer. And my intention was always to have my own law firm. So while I did want to be a lawyer, I either wanted to work for myself as a barrister or I wanted to have my own law firm. It was never to sort of work for other people. But within sort of three years, I was just so miserable. And for me, you know, people kept saying, it's fine. Like when you become partner, when you work for yourself, things get better. When you become a barrister, you're going to earn a million dollars a year or more. And you just got to wait it out for sort of six or seven years. And for me, I was at that point where every day that I had to stay in that profession would just kill me inside. And I was, you know, overworked, incredibly stressed and just really, really unhappy. And so I kind of had no idea. I had sort of lost my entrepreneurial streak at that point because I think when you go through a standard education system and you don't have anybody else around you that's in business, all my friends were in finance, accounting, doctors, lawyers, nobody was really in that starting business space. So I definitely had that that moment of like I have no idea what to do. All I know is I'm really unhappy. So did you have some time off? How did you sort of, I guess, decide what you're going to do next? Well, luckily I met a man who is now my husband who had a bit, he's always been entrepreneurial. He had also never been sort of out on his own. Um, He'd done a few side hustles, but he was in banking. He actually quit his job to move with me to London when I had this big opportunity over there as a lawyer. And so he was always working on this stuff on the side. And he sort of opened my eyes to the world of entrepreneurship and to the world of, and it was very much a startup world, which is hustle culture. Um, It's not really, not online business, but it opened my eyes to a world that I hadn't previously explored. And so I got to the point where I started this little side hustle as a lawyer, which it never went anywhere. It was just one of those things I started and I shut down very quickly because I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I have no interest in what I'm doing. Had I had I continued with it, I think it would have made a lot of money, but I, I decided I wanted to have a career change. So I went into social impact con- consulting. I did that for a while. It was really rewarding. Um, still didn't like working for anyone else. And I sort of fell into having my own business in project management made a lot of money in that. And then eventually got to this point where, you know, he was sort of looking at other options. I was looking at other options and we sort of looked at e-commerce and he was like, I've always wanted to own a brand. I was like, why? (laughs) I don't understand. Why do you want, why do you want to own a brand? It's just like this really cool thing. I was like, okay, well, why don't we look into it? And we sort of looked into it together and then started our first e-commerce brand. And we started really small because we were like, this is scary. You know, everyone says you can make lots of money from it, but we Coming from professional backgrounds, I was you don't know say, the first thing. And about. lawyers are naturally risk adverse, I think, not you particularly, yes. but that's just part of the DNA of every lawyer that I've, I've worked with and known. Absolutely. And it is your job to work out at any given point what are all the possible things that could go wrong. And this is the worst way to approach a business. So not I really had to unlearn a lot of what I had spent, you know, 10, 15 years studying and learning. And that was one of the biggest challenges, jumping from uh, being a lawyer to being in the entrepreneurial space. 
Absolutely. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about business failure because I think we all need to to know that there are risks. And a collaborative research project completed by Forbes, Huffington Post and Marketing Signals found 90% of all e-commerce online businesses fail within the first 120 days. So that's just the first three months. Mm. What excites you about e-commerce as a business model knowing that this is a reality for many people? Well, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind just touching on some of those reasons. Yeah, um, sure. Because when I looked at that, the, there are a couple of things that just sort of stood out to me. And one, the first one was really that when I looked into why people had said that their businesses had failed, you know, when we look at the top reasons, it's they either didn't have a market for their product or services. And to me, I was like, well, Unfortunately, if you create something that nobody wants, you're going to fail because nobody wants it. And I've also done this in the past. So I've failed. And I think, you know, we should, in Australia, we don't celebrate failure enough, but in America, they really do. So if you failed at something, they're like, good on you, what's next? And one of the things that people don't understand when they start a business is you need to validate your idea really well. And so- What does that look like when you say validate? How? So there are a few methods of validating. One is as simple as find your target market and do a survey that is not a leading survey. There's a very specific way around how you should ask your questions, but understand if you're solving a problem. The best products solve some kind of problem. It doesn't have to be a big problem. It just needs to be a problem that people actually want solved in the way that you want to solve it. And that is the key. And this is why so many skincare brands do well. So many, you know, so many brands do well. You know, I had a jewelry brand and in some ways, you might think, well, how does that solve a problem? Like nobody's sitting there going, oh, I really need some extra jewelry. That's not the problem it solves. <laughs> I don't know. I, know? Feel, like- I feel like I do. I'm a bit of, I'm a bit of an online jewelry shopper. <laughs> <laughs> well, my brand was very much around gifting. How can we make the gifting experience better? How can we support people through meaning? There are all these different ways, but validating your idea and making sure people want it is the very first step. So One way is to do surveys. Another way is to literally put up a landing page, put up some photos, run ads to it and see if anyone buys it. If you get buyers, it means that you're probably going to have a good store. But just going out there and creating something that you think is nice is sort of a very dangerous way to enter the market because if you're not solving anything, we're in this world, as you know, like everyone is shopping online. How are you going to stand out? So having that unique value proposition is really, really important. And the second thing that I noticed was when we look at the reasons why people are failing, it's, you know, pricing and costing issues. They're running out of cash, poor online marketing. A lot of this is just down to the fact that people don't understand the game that they're getting into. They don't understand the ecosystem of an e-commerce business. And so they don't price themselves uh, well enough. They don't have enough profit margin. They don't know how to market and they sort of fall into this trap of thinking, I'm going to put a store out there and people are just going to find it and then they're going to buy my product. And unfortunately, marketing is such a huge part of it. If you don't get your store out there, you don't make it known, people aren't going to just discover it. It's very rare that that happens, especially with the level of competition. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And I'm in the comms and PR space and but I have worked with like female entrepreneurs in e-commerce who have the best Instagram, loads mm-hmm. of followers and no sales. You know, it, it sounds like it's got to be a bit of everything. It can't just be the magic of smoke and mirrors as well. Absolutely. And you're so right. People fall into this trap of thinking, 
I need to get lots of followers. And I see most e-commerce entrepreneurs going, I'm going to grow my business with Instagram. I'm going to put up photos. I'm going to do, you know, the latest thing is real. Yeah. Um, they're always chasing followers on Instagram, but they don't have the ecosystem in place. And, you know, I've had two brands, one of which we had, I think it was maybe 650 followers, but we had done, you know, almost 100K in like five months or something like that. And it just, it doesn't matter how many followers followers you have if you have a traffic source that works. And so it really is about identifying for your own brand, what is the traffic that is going to drive your sales and that can look different for every brand for some people it's Instagram for one of my brands it just wasn't Instagram at all that's not where the market was so growing an Instagram following spending all that time there would have been a giant waste so really implementing that ecosystem is probably why you know if you don't have that in that first 120 days you're going to struggle and the final part of that is it's just not long enough we, are, we live in this world where we just want overnight success. Yeah. instant gratification. Yeah. And business with business comes the requirement of having grit. Yeah. And I think that's something that it's not necessarily our fault. Uh, it's not a blame game of saying people are not resilient enough, people are not gritty enough. People just, they don't set the right expectations for themselves. We always see the success stories of people launching something and it blows up and they get a 100K launch and this and that, but we don't hear enough of actually I struggled for the first year. And, you know, then I found the things that made it work and then it grew and it grew slowly and, you know, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, it's not nearly as sexy as story, is it? Like, you know. No, it's not. It's not as exciting. But that's the reality of most successful businesses. They just take time. Yeah. So your first online business, and you've had a couple and, the, you know, they've been a couple have been acquired as well, as I, as I mentioned in my intro. Can you share some of those mistakes that perhaps you made that people will relate to? Because like you mentioned, you know, 120 days is not very long, but a lot of people, I guess, run out of money, that they've might have given up their day job. It might not be a side hustle and they need to pay a mortgage and do other things. Or like you say, they haven't tested that market to see whether, you know, there's enough people that want it at that price point. You know, what what sort of mistakes did you make early on that you can kind of share with us? Sure. So my biggest mistake was probably putting all my eggs in one basket, thinking that that was the basket that was going to grow the brand. So I spent a lot of time trying to learn how to grow organically on Instagram and not enough time looking at the entire ecosystem thinking, well, where could I potentially dabble a little bit in? So it ended up being Facebook ads as the primary driver of sales, Facebook and Instagram ads, and then using Instagram as that conversion, that nurturing, and then having email marketing in place. So for me, it was just spending all your time on one platform is just a big mistake because I didn't know anything either on that platform. So I had no skill set. If you're like a content creator, then that's great. You can probably make that work for you. But when you're starting out, you really need to dabble in a little bit of everything and work out what are the things that are going to form that wheel that spins and just get the wheel spinning. And the second thing was actually thinking that I was going to be drawing a salary really quickly from an e-commerce brand. And the reason I say that is because you're playing a different game when you're in e-commerce. And it took me a while to work this out. It goes back to your question around, you know, what I love about e-commerce as a business model. And I don't think I quite touched on that. So I'll kind of combine those two things together. But when you have an e-commerce brand, you're building an asset that you can sell. And so if you want to build an asset that you can sell for a multiple of, say, anywhere from one to three times profit, when you are building your brand, you need to be reinvesting your profits back into your store 
to drive sales up and to continue to make profit and to get that profit multiple up so that you can exit. And so one of the mistakes I see that a lot of online store owners make is they take a salary as soon as they make that first thousand dollars, they put it in their bank account. They see that as profit or whatever, like, you know, that's theirs, right? Yeah. And then the sales start to dwindle and they're really focused on the salary, which is okay. Like everyone has to live. But I think if you want to build a big brand, if you want to build a brand that can support freedom. So, you know, we were literally working 10 hours a week on our brand towards the end of the year and it was generating thousands of dollars in sales and everything was on autopilot and I took three weeks off. Like to me, that's financial and time freedom where I'm not trading time for money. So if you want to really utilize e-commerce as a business model and get to that time and financial freedom, you need to be okay with not accepting a salary straight away, reinvesting that, pushing that into the ecosystem so that in six to 12 months, you can get to a point where you take a step back, the business runs itself, and it's not entirely passive income, but you know, you do get that freedom. You can decide exactly when you work and how you want to work. And you need to make that sacrifice up front. And that was something I didn't do for a really long time. And I definitely regret that. Yeah, I, I, I can see why that would be the case. Did you use anything like influencers to boost your sales, particularly on Instagram? What's your feeling around that? I did use influencer marketing. It is very hit and miss. I think it was a strategy that worked really well about five years ago when influencers were cheaper. Nowadays, I don't know if many people know this, but in terms of what you're looking at, the cost of an influencer just for Instagram stories, for example, is upwards of $1,000 to $1,500 for three stories. That's 45 seconds of content that expires within 24 hours. And so unless you have a brand that is where you know that those that customer and audience alignment is incredible and that you are going to make more money off those customers than you would if you, you know, ran ads, I would caution people on paying for influencer marketing to start. One approach that works really well is gifting. If influencers are willing to accept gifting, it can work well. Using micro influencers can work well. I think it just has to be something you test and make it a part of your strategy because you can lose a lot of money. I have had influencers where I've paid $1,500 and made two sales and it was sickening. Yeah. It was so gut-wrenching. I can imagine. So how did you make the most of your early growth success once you were on that success path? I mean, I've, I've read some articles about you, of course, in preparation for today, and there was some mention of having 18 times sales revenue in the first six months. I mean, was that through tech and those automation of systems that you've mentioned, giving you that freedom? How did that really happen for you? Well, one thing I will clarify, just to go back to like where that story sort of comes from, before that 18x happened, there was a period where my business was struggling and one of my businesses actually stopped working on for nine months due to personal reasons, pregnancy, et cetera, COVID, having a baby during that time. When I came back to it and finally decided I'm going to work on it, that's when it I managed to 18x those sales within that six-month period. And so it wasn't launched to six months for that particular business. But what really helped me get that 18x was utilizing influencer marketing with Facebook ads, with organic Instagram, with email marketing, with offer creation, and really dialing that in so that it was perfect. Yeah, And so... It's never one thing with e-commerce. 
And it, and it shifts, I imagine. Like it's like any business. Like just because it's worked previously doesn't guarantee it's going to work forever, right? Or does it? Is it set and forget in a it's way? It's never set and forget thanks to social media platforms changing everything on you. So last year we had major changes to, you know, well, firstly, the introduction of Reels. I mean, that threw off so many people who were just really good at posting in a particular way. Then the algorithm changes. Then iOS changes came in and meant we can no longer track customers. So for brands that were solely built on Facebook ads, they're suffering because we can't, Facebook doesn't have the data that it used to. And so it's never set and forget, but there are levers for each business that you will be able to identify and go, okay, we're going to focus more on this. And that's what I did. I used a very data-driven approach to say, what are the things that are bringing in the most revenue and how do I just focus in on those? You know, focusing on the assets that you're building, email marketing, SMS marketing is the latest thing and it's huge. It's the highest converting platform. People that don't have SMS marketing need to get on it because you control your email and SMS list. You don't control what Facebook, Instagram or anyone else is doing. So, Really focusing on the things that you own is probably the most important thing. And that's how you get those consistent sales. You get customers to love you. It's easy to then get them to purchase from you again. So you've already inbuilt this sort of sales funnel that you own that isn't going to change. Yeah, right. That's great. That sounds that sounds like a little bit of magic to me. Um, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the nine to free society, which sounds like where your, a lot of your energy is going at the moment. Yeah. So since selling my brands, um, I've been putting some more energy into the nine to free society, which is effectively a community where I offer training and resources to support people who want to create financial and time freedom through their business. And the first offering under that is the Ecom Lab. So that's a membership that supports people who are either at the start of their e-commerce journey or who have an online store but have been sort of struggling to get those consistent sales. So I offer training and coaching on how to grow their brands to around $20,000 a month using my e-commerce ecosystem method. And so I'm really passionate about that right now and it's really fun. And it also helps people to feel less lonely. I think the online business world is incredibly lonely when you're working on your own and you're working from home and you know, you don't have that community around you. Yeah, um, you might not have people in an office with you, particularly now a lot of people do. They've set themselves up remotely for life. So there's no maybe a workplace to go to, to have those conversations and to thrash out ideas. That's right. And just talk to each other, like to say, oh, I'm really struggling with this and having someone there. You know, I think we, the online space is amazing and I think being able to work remotely is amazing, but it also means that we don't have colleagues and that becomes really hard for people. And so I think having a space where we can share your struggles in a similar way that you would if you were all working on a project together at work is one of the biggest things that can help online business owners really succeed. You want to know that other people have been there or are struggling with you. Sometimes just knowing that someone else is struggling with you is actually the greatest feeling. (laughs) Just Absolutely. You're, you're, not, you're alone. not alone, I guess. It's that idea of, you know, we're in this together a little bit or you're going through something similar I relate to and there's a bit of community in that. Absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. So what are some of the ways that this online world of e-commerce can allow business owners to have the more freedom? Because it sounds like you've achieved that. I mean, we've talked about a little bit about some of the tools you've used. Do you do things like SEO campaigns? How do you keep that business tracking? Because if you want to have more time with your family or you might want to go traveling and you want things just to keep ticking over, do you still need to check in regularly? How do you keep that going so that it doesn't just fall away when you, when you maybe come back from that time away? Yeah. So look, things like SEO, things like Facebook ads, anything that is somewhat automated is really helpful in driving those sales. So once you get, you know, a good ad campaign working or good SEO or even Google ads, you will then know that there's an expectation that you will get a certain number of sales every month. One of the things I really encourage people to do is outsourcing fulfillment as one of the first things they do. When I outsourced fulfillment, I got 20 hours a week back. Um, Packing is very People that pack orders are doing incredible work, but as a business owner, packing is not bringing in the greatest return on investment. And so you should always be looking for what is the greatest ROI? Where can I focus my time? So you'll find that when you are focusing on, say, batching your Instagram content ahead of time, so no one really notices that you've gone on a holiday, you've got your Facebook ad campaign set up, you've got your store set up and you've got, you know, SEO, whatever else you need set up. When someone's doing your fulfillment, all you need to do is check in on those campaigns. I've had periods where I haven't looked at anything for two weeks. I probably wouldn't go longer than that without at least checking in. I'm always kind of, it's really hard to switch off and completely not check in on your store. You want to make sure it didn't break while you were on holidays. Or any business. You just, it's really hard. It's not the same as when you're an employee in that way, I think. No. And I think you just have to accept that. You're not going to, you're not going to take your mind off it entirely, but if you could just have a laptop and check on it, you know, for one hour a week, two hours a week, you could definitely get your business to that point where you're not doing any more than that. And if something stops working, just turn it off, you know, (laughs) just don't stress about it turn it off and come back to it when you're back from holidays. But definitely outsourcing fulfillment and then just batching any content, emails, et cetera, everything can be scheduled now, which is what makes it so great. Yeah, absolutely. So what would be your best experience of e-commerce? What would that look like? Because you're a bit of a, you know, expert, you've had a few businesses, you've probably mentored a lot of businesses, you've seen a lot. So what what does that that perfect experience of e-commerce look like? So it's seamless for you as the operator, but I guess for us as the consumer as well. Oh, as a consumer, that's like a totally different experience (laughs) to an operator. Um, All right, let's quickly do both. So as an operator, I think having a store that converts really well, so you're never stressing about that. So I'm talking greater than 3% conversion rate. Having the ability to not have to pack your own orders, I think is part of that perfect experience. So you sit there with a glass of wine on a beach or (laughs) wherever you are, and you hear that Shopify sound going ding, ding, ding. Magic. And you just know that those orders are being packed by your awesome team who does a fulfillment for you. And to me, that is is the perfect experience of e-commerce. And that's what I think everyone should strive to achieve an e-commerce. Even if you then decide you want to do more work on your business, I think having the option to not have to do that, that's brilliant. And, you know, just having that core team around you, your go-to people for content creators, your go-to people for photography, your go- just having that team that don't work for you. This is the greatest thing. You can do all of this on a one employee's on a one employee basis, you just outsource those things to contractors. They manage it all for you. And then 
you just kind of sit back and relax and, and make the magic happen, CEO style. You just tell everybody what to do and it happens. Like a boss. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, I can imagine. I think for us as consumers, I can picture what that's like. You just want your stuff to come on time, to know how to track it when, it, you know, things got hectic last year with COVID and deliveries and those poor delivery people working, you know, over time to get us all our parcels from all that shopping we were doing when we were inside for too long. And you want it to be living up to what what you think it's going to look like. It's got to seem like value for money for me. Yeah. I know that. And it's got to be not broken as well or missing pieces. There's nothing <laughs> worse than having to send stuff back. Yeah. I mean, look, those that stuff to me is that's got to be basics of running a good store. You want people to have the most amazing experience with you. Every every touch point with from a consumer perspective has to be perfect. The second they land on your site, they need to feel like they are connected with your brand, that you know, they know what they're getting into, that you understand them as a brand, that when they place their order, they have no question. So people have always, you know, when investors were looking at my brand, they're like, how many customer service tickets do you get every week? Do I need to hire someone for that? And I was like, I get one question a week. Like I literally don't have customer service emails because people come to the store, every single question is answered for them. They purchase the product, they get automated emails. It has tracking. It has, it gives them the answer to everything that they need so that they feel like you've already thought of it when the question is in their mind. And the timing of emails is really important as well. You want to get them excited about the product before it arrives on their doorstep. So they just feel like, you know, they're super excited to receive it. They're okay to wait for it when it's, you know, Australia Post delays that are, that are getting in the way. They open it. They have an incredible unboxing experience. They want to leave a review. So you time your reviews to match the unboxing experience. And they're excited to use your product and tell people about it. And then they're excited to buy more from you. And it's really about getting those consumers, like every question in their mind is answered. And then you just give them this amazing experience on the back end so that they become really loyal to your brand. Sounds awesome. Who've been your greatest one or two career mentors that have made an impact in your life and your business career? So I follow a few people, but in terms of e-commerce, the person that's had the biggest impact is Taylor Holiday. He's the managing partner of the Common Thread Collective, which is a marketing agency, but is also a very successful e-commerce founder. And what I found was finding someone who's actually done, like done an e-commerce brand from the ground up on their own is it's quite rare to be able to get them in a room and talk to them and when I had the chance to chat with him, it changed my entire way of thinking about e-commerce. And and he really helped me understand what the game is that I'm playing. And that was game changing for me. He's very data-driven. He's, you know, the insight, the information that he shares is just incredible. It's so on point. And it's stuff that you just can't, I haven't been able to find it anywhere else. So that has been game changing for me. Excellent. If we spoke in a year, what would be the number one thing you would hope to have changed in your business and why? Well, I think I have a lot of unique knowledge to share. So I'm hoping that in a year's time, I will have been able to impact a lot more people through my Ecom Lab and then also have started my next big thing. And I don't know what that is yet, but in a year's time, I will have expected myself to have started that and be working very actively on that. Excellent. Final takeaway message for us on the politics of e-commerce. Well, if you really want to try something, stop stressing about failure and just do it because otherwise you'll spend the rest of your life not trying. And if you really want to make it work, just develop grit, expect that it'll be hard, but that it'll be worth it. 
Absolutely. You've been a source of so much knowledge and inspiration, I'm sure, for lots of us who might be thinking about these kinds of businesses and, and I guess some hacks to get us there a bit quicker. If you do want to connect further with Priya, there will be some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.